Well, we remain standing now as we're about to read the Word. I appreciate you doing so. Our text this morning is another one of those union with Christ passages, and in it we, we find the key to the fruitful Christian life. I believe this is the teaching from our Lord that we all need to inhere, hear and embrace and practice this morning. So turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 15 as I read verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our gracious and good and most loving Father, we are thankful. Thankful that in your perfect wisdom and in your comprehensive care for us, that you have given to your people all that is needed for life and for godliness. You have not left us alone, nor have you left us to our own devices. You have given us the sure promise that all who trust upon Christ will be your people, and that you will be a God to them and to their children. You have redeemed us out of the misery of our sin and freed us from, from condemnation to death and given to us the sure hope of eternal life. By your Spirit, you guide us and illumine before us the path of life, knowing that in your holy presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. There is not one thing lacking for those who are in Christ. In Christ, we are complete. Reveal to us, we pray, by the work of your Holy Spirit and the preaching of your word, both our great weaknesses and the great strength you provide liberally to all who abide in the true vine, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> As they were casting their nets into the sea, Jesus called out to Peter and Andrew, saying, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
As Jesus passed by the tax collector Matthew, he said to him, follow me. And Matthew arose and followed him. Speaking to his disciples, Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And Jesus said to the rich young ruler, If you want to be perfect, go. Sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. As Jesus begins his earthly ministry and as he travels from place to place, he has much to teach and much to reveal to all who would follow him. This is the beginning. This is the gospel call and the the gospel imperative to all who would be free from the bondage of sin and know true liberty. Jesus says, follow me. But as Jesus' earthly ministry draws to an end, he gathers his disciples in the upper room to give them the teaching that remains, the teaching that he has yet to deliver to them. Though he is leaving them, He is not leaving them alone. He reveals to them the ministry of the Holy Spirit as the Comforter. He reveals that He is going to prepare a place for them and that He will come again to receive those for whom He has prepared a place. He reveals to Philip that having seen Jesus, He has seen the Father. He speaks of His love and He bestows His peace to His disciples And then he gets up from the table and leads them to the garden. On the way to the garden, or perhaps as they arrive at the garden, Jesus no longer says, follow me. But rather he says, abide in me. There has been a great emphasis in the preaching and teaching in the evangelistic church on the call to follow Jesus, and rightly so. Jesus explains to Nicodemus with these words, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We must be born again. We must be converted. And we must take up our cross and follow Jesus. But too often, the emphasis and the teaching and the call which starts there also ends there. Believe. Be converted and follow Jesus. But what of the whole of the Christian life? Is there anything else that is required? It is all too common for the Christian in his daily walk that while trusting in his Savior for pardon and for help and seeking to some extent to obey Him, he hardly realizes the closeness of this union and the great intimacy of fellowship and the wondrous oneness of life that Christ presents when He says to him, Abide in Me. And this is not only an unspeakable loss for such believers, but also the church and the world suffer as well in what is minimized, what is misunderstood, and what is lost. If we were to ask the reason why those who have accepted the Savior 
and have been made partakers of the renewing of the Holy Spirit so often fall short of the full blessings in salvation prepared for them, the answer would point us in the direction of ignorance as the primary cause. If in all Bible-believing churches, the abiding in Christ, the daily living in union with Him, the experience of His hourly presence were preached with the same urgency and clarity as His atonement, His forgiveness of sin, and His victory over death, I am increasingly confident that many would find that its influence would be made manifest in their experience of the purity and the power and the love and the joy and the fruit-bearing and indeed all of the blessedness which Jesus connected with the abiding in Him. In the message this morning, I have five points. Five points that I would like to make for us and I hope will encourage us in the divine command to abide in Christ. First, we need to consider why we struggle to abide. What is it that hinders our abiding in Christ? And the last four points I will label for the sake of simplicity, rest, trust, work, and joy. First, why we struggle to abide. As sinners saved by grace through spirit-wrought faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we who were once dead in our sins and trespasses have been born again to newness of life. As the Savior called, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We obediently and joyfully responded. Our eyes were open to the truth of His Word, and we came to know in that moment the liberty of His free pardon. We were made partakers of the blessings and joy of His love. We declared that we were ready to take His yoke and find rest for our souls. And yet, if we are completely honest with ourselves, we have on occasion complained of or at least experienced disappointment. As time went on, our expectations of this Christian life were not realized. The blessings we once enjoyed seemed to be lost. The love and joy of our first encounter with the Savior, instead of continually deepening, became faint and feebler. We were left wondering what the reason could be that with such a mighty and loving Savior, our experience of salvation should not be a fuller one an ongoing and ever-growing experience? And the answer is simple. We wandered from Him. You and I wandered from Him. We failed to fully embrace the fact that the blessings He bestows are all connected with His call, Come to Me and are only to be enjoyed and experienced in close, united fellowship with Jesus. We either did not fully understand or did not rightly remember that the call was to come to me and to stay with me. And yet this was precisely his object and his purpose when he first called us unto himself. It was not, it was not to refresh us for a few short hours after our conversion, with the joy of His love and deliverance, and then to send us out to wander in sadness and sin. 
He had destined us to something far better than a short-lived blessedness, only to be enjoyed in times of special earnestness and prayer, which then passes away as we return to the mundane duties which constitute the greater part of our lives. No, He prepared us for an abiding dwelling with Himself, where our whole life and every single moment of it might be spent, where the work of our daily life might be done with satisfaction and where we should be enjoying unbroken communion with Himself. This is what He meant when He commanded His disciples to abide in Me. The same, the very same Jesus who beckons, come, also commands, abide. The power which enabled you to come is no less powerful to see to it that you are able to abide. The master gardener that cut you free from death in Adam is the same vine dresser that engrafts you into the true vine wherein is life in that abundantly. We misunderstand the Savior's call to come with our burdens, with our sins, with all the difficulties we find in this thorn-filled world to find rest if, if we don't also take His yoke and learn from Him. It is only as we take His yoke and learn from Him that we come to know the rest that He gives. If we only come but never learn to abide, we are like the peasant that is invited to dwell in the King's presence, to share in all the glory and riches of His royal life, who stops at the door and peering over the velvet rope is too reluctant or too stubborn or too ignorant to walk through the door and, and enjoy the offer that has been extended to him. And yet there are many who have come to Jesus who then confess that they know but little of this blessedness of abiding in him. For some, the reason is that they never truly understood the full meaning of the Savior's call. For others, though they have heard and read the word many times, they do not know that such a life of abiding fellowship is both possible and within their reach. Others might say that though they do believe that such a life is possible, and they even seek after it, they have never yet succeeded in discovering the secret of its attainment. And for still others, perhaps most, if they are honest, they confess that it is their own unfaithfulness that has kept them from the enjoyment of this blessing. It could be that they are fearful of what the Lord may require of them or what they would need to put off and what they would need to give up. Many, no doubt, believe that such abiding is too difficult, requiring time and labors that are beyond them. And there is a truth in that, but first we need to remember that Christ has given us His Word, that His yoke is easy and His burden is light, and that He gives us rest, and in Him we find rest for our souls. Rest. Rest for the soul. Such is the promise extended to the soul-weary sinner. But what is this rest? Does it not imply deliverance from every fear and every besetting sin, the supply of every need and the satisfaction of every good desire? 
We all know the depth of the longing for mental, physical, and emotional rest when we have reached the end of ourselves. In those times, we need nothing more than nourishment, comfort, and sleep. We need to shut down, recharge, and recover. At those times, we need rest for our bodies and rest for our minds. But here, Christ provides rest for our souls. A rest with ongoing and eternal consequences. Our text says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. In our coming to Christ, we are made clean. But then we are commanded to abide, to rest in His provision. There is fruit to be born, but we cannot do this apart from abiding in the true vine. We can't do this apart from resting and waiting upon the resources needed to be productive and depending upon the life-giving spiritual sap that flows from Him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I want to contend that this call to come from the Lord is very much connected to His command to abide. If we are to receive and know this rest, we must also abide. And notice here that the promised rest is presented in two ways. First, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. The very moment we come and believe, he gives us rest. The rest of pardon and acceptance. The rest of being joined to his love and his provision. This is seen as our engrafting into the true vine. When a new branch is grafted into the vine, it is but a feeble little twig. Not much to look at and certainly not laden down with heavy fruit. The twig has come into the vine, but it must continue in the vine, become one with the vine, and so obtain all its sustenance from the vine. It must abide in the vine. Likewise, as we come to Christ, He gives us that initial rest and expects us to abide in the newly established union with Him. But then the second promise of rest is fulfilled as we take His yoke and learn from Him. It is there that we will find rest for our souls. This is the life of the Christian. We come and then we abide. If we only come, we will never grow beyond the little twig and we will have little chance of bearing fruit. The thriving life we are to have in Christ withers into a struggle to survive if we fail to abide. And in that struggle, there is no true rest. Sadly, that is where many Christians find themselves. And from time to time, sadly, that is where we too often find ourselves. But why is it that true Christians find so little rest for their souls? Why is it that we take such a simple command to abide and turn it into an incomprehensible complexity? Somehow we take the Lord's invitation of, and promise of rest and turn it into an undesirable work 
that requires too much effort from us. We would keep, as it were, the heavy burdens of our unsanctified lives to ourselves rather than laying them down at the feet of Jesus and take up the easy burden He has offered. We just love to overcomplicate the simple things and face every problem we encounter by striving in our flesh. So ask yourself this question. Does the small child labor to find rest in his mother's arms? Is it not the arms of the mother that support and keep the little one safe? So it is with Jesus. The soul has but to yield itself to Him, to be still and rest in the confidence that the Savior's love has undertaken this grand task to keep us and to give us rest. The soul must stop striving and come to know the shelter and the safekeeping to be found in the everlasting arms of Jesus. It is as if we don't believe that Christ, the Almighty One, will in all times and in all places teach and keep us safe within His perfect care. And yet, this is just what He has promised. It is as our heart takes in this truth, knowing that when He says, Abide in me, He really means it. We need only take the risk of casting ourselves into the arms of His love and abandon ourselves into His keeping. Surely it is not the weight of His yoke, but our resistance to His yoke that makes for any difficulty we encounter. It is the wholehearted surrender to Jesus as our Master and as our Keeper which establish us, establishes us in the abiding we are called to and in which we find rest for our souls. And this type of surrender requires trust. Trust. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. So easy to sing, and yet so hard to do. As we trust in Jesus and yield to God's work as the vine dresser, Christ provides everything, absolutely everything that is needed for growth, for strength, and for fruit bearing. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you, sh you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. This text teaches us the nature of the abiding union. The connection between the vine and the branch is a living one. Here we also need to see the dead connection of false Christians who are never actually in the true vine and therefore can't abide. There is no living and vital union in them and there can't be any true abiding. There is no living and vital union. The vine dresser then must cut them out and gather them up and throw them into the fire where they are burned. But also note that there is no 
external temporary union that will suffice. No work of man can bring it into existence. The branch, whether an original or an engrafted one, is solely the work of the Creator. A work that brings the sap, the sap, the sweetness, and the fruitfulness of the vine into vital expression to the branch. And so it is with the believer. His union with the Lord is no work of human wisdom or human will, but an act of God by which the closest and most complete union is brought to fruition between the Son of God and the sinner. In Galatians 4, 6, we read, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The same Spirit which dwells in the Son becomes the life of the believer. In the unity of that one Spirit and the fellowship of the same life which is in Christ, the believer is truly one with Him. As the branch is in vital union with the vine, so the Christian is to be in vital union with the true vine. Said in the negative, if there is no vital union between the Christian and Christ, there is no vitality, no life, and there is no true fruit bearing. Without the vine, the branch could do nothing, and so the Lord says, without me, you can do nothing. The believer can each day be pleasing to God only in that which he has done through the power of Christ dwelling in him. The daily inflowing of the life sap of the Holy Spirit is his only power to bring forth good fruit. He lives solely because of him and is for each and every moment dependent upon him alone. Does this, dear Christian, describe your life in Christ? Is this your experience of abiding? Or are you more like the partially grafted in twig receiving just enough sap to hang on to the vine, but not firmly and fully engrafted so that you are thriving and flourishing and at the ready disposal of the Lord Jesus Christ. If that describes you, then may I suggest there is a matter of trust at the heart of so weak a faith. You don't fully trust Him or you don't fully trust His Word. Perhaps you love the old vine from which you were taken as a cutting and through which you have been grafted into the new vine, which is Christ. In your spirit, you are still longing for the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic of Egypt, not trusting Christ to meet your every need. Friends, there is so much more to this life that is far more satisfying than those leeks. We have been grafted into the true vine to bear fruit for Him. Even the thought of it is astounding. Have you ever pondered the wonderful condescension of the grace of Jesus that even as His people are utterly dependent on Him, He is still pleased to use them as the means of bearing the fruit He desires to accomplish His purposes? Is it not surprising that Jesus imparts His blessings to the world through the faithful work of the apostles? And that the Lord of glory calls upon the faithfulness of feeble men to accomplish His purposes. This is the high calling He has appointed to His redeemed ones, that from Him their fruit may be produced and that through them His fruit may be found. Fruit that is evidenced in your life, in the life of your family, and to all those around you. As believers, we ought to meditate on this. 
we ought to ponder the import and the weight of this mystery until our souls bow in humble worship and adoration of the great task we have been given in service to the King of Heaven. And remember this, all that the vine possesses belongs to the branches. The vine doesn't gather from the soil its nutrient-rich strength for itself. All it has is delivered to and is at the disposal of the branches. Jesus, to whom we owe our life, completely gives himself for us and to us. As he prayed to the Father in his high priestly prayer, The glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. Is that not simply astounding? Dear believer, all His fullness and all His riches are given, freely given to you. The true vine holds back nothing that is needed, but freely and liberally imparts every grace and every gift needed to bear much fruit. The branch doesn't exist for itself, but to bear fruit that can proclaim the excellence of the vine. It has no reason of existence except to be of service to the vine. This is the glorious image of the calling of the believer and the full consecration of our service to the Lord. Knowing that Jesus gives of Himself so wholly and so completely, we in return come to know our lives to be wholly given to the Lord. Every ounce of our strength, every moment of our lives, every thought and feeling belong to Jesus. All we have and are, all that is of any value whatsoever and good is from Him and for Him. In our vital union to the true vine, we come to know ever more clearly our calling and the purpose for which we have been given this new life. And it is chiefly this, the bringing forth of fruit to the glory of His name. Fruit. Fruit. This is the very purpose of the branches. The branches are for fruit and fruit alone. Every branch that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. The unproductive, the underproductive parts of our lives are to be pruned. Those things that hinder the production of good fruit are cut out by the vine dresser that we might bear more fruit. Dear fellow Christian, yield to the work of the master gardener and desire, yes, desire the pruning that is needed. You're being trained and cultivated, shaped and directed so that you may bear fruit for His name. Trust. Trust His masterful hand. Trust His perfect wisdom. Trust the means of grace He has given you. It is for fruit, much fruit, that the Father has made us one with Jesus. What of work? The question remains, isn't this too much work? Don't I have to be some sort of super Christian to obey the command to abide? In John 14, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in Me The works that I do, He will do also in greater works than those He will do. How can this possibly be true? As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments 
and abide in His love. I think if we could just begin to understand the depth and the scope of the Lord's love, we would see the work of abiding become as natural and as simple as the peaceful infant resting in his mother's arms. If we fully believe that it is not only by faith that we first come to Christ and are united to Him, but it is also by faith that we are to be rooted and established in our union with Christ, we would be far the better off. As Paul wrote to the Colossians, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Faith is every bit as essential to the progress of the spiritual life as it was at the beginning of the spiritual life. Abiding in Jesus can only be accomplished by faith. It is not a work of our flesh. Many earnest Christians who do not understand this, or if they admit to it in theory, fail to realize its application in practice. They're very zealous for a free gospel and embrace justification by faith alone. They expound the doctrines. But after this, they think everything depends on their diligence. While they firmly grasp the truth that the sinner shall be justified by faith, they don't seem to have found a place for the larger truth. The sinner shall, be, shall live by faith. They have no, never understood that Jesus is the Savior who will each day do for the sinner just as much as He did the first day of His salvation. Just as you came to Jesus, so abide in Him by faith. Apply your experience and knowledge of coming to Jesus to the abiding in Him. Of course, the temptations that keep you from believing and from living faithful are many. When you see your sins, your heart is cast down with shame and it seems as if there's just too much. It's too much to expect that Jesus would indeed receive you into His perfect intimacy and the full enjoyment of His holy love. There are times you remember how you have failed, failed in keeping even the simplest commands, and the knowledge of your weakness makes you tremble at the very idea of answering, I will, as the Lord commands you to abide in Him. You know yourself too well, or so it seems, and conclude, therefore, there is no use expecting only to be disappointed, a life that is fully and completely abiding in Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, know this. By His almighty grace, you, even now, are in Him, in union with Christ. And that same almighty grace will surely enable you to abide in Him. By faith, you became partakers of the initial grace by that same faith, you can enjoy the continuous grace of abiding in Him. Some of you will ask, and some already have, well, how can I abide in Him? And the answer is not difficult. Believe. First of all, believe what He has said. I am the vine. The safety and the fruitfulness of the vine depend upon the strength of the branch, depend upon the strength of the vine. He really will be to you all that a vine can be, holding you fast, 
nourishing you and making himself at every moment responsible for your growth and the fruits you produce. Simply believe. Now ask. Ask the Father by the Holy Spirit to reveal to you more clearly the glorious, the loving, and the mighty Christ in whom your life has been placed. It is the faith in what Christ is, who Christ is, more than anything else that will keep you abiding in Him. A soul filled with true thoughts of the true vine will be a strong branch and will abide confidently in Him. Contemplate the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord. Believe much in Him as the true vine. Read and meditate on His Word. Commune with Him in prayer. Worship Him with your whole heart. And yield. Yield to the fullness of His teaching and instruction. His wisdom is perfect, but it will often come into conflict with the wisdom of the world and the counsel of your family and friends. Open yourself to the chastening of the Holy Spirit and receive it with gladness. For no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful nevertheless. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What a good and necessary fruit righteousness is. And it is a righteousness that runs counter to every fiber in the natural man. Yield to the truth of God's Word and come to know that true righteousness. Know that the work required of you is faith, and that not of yourself. It is a work of God, lest any man should boast. Believe, ask, yield, and practice the work of faith. It is astonishing how such a faith will work out all that is implied in the abiding in Christ. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And John encourages the church writing, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you want to see sanctification in your life, in the life of your family? Abide in Christ. Do you want to see the community of Coble come under the Lordship of Jesus? Abide in Christ. Do you want to see the county, the state, the nation, and the world washed and beautified by the gospel? Abide in Christ. It is the vine dresser that tends the vineyard and the true vine that supplies the branches with every spiritual blessing required to bring forth such fruit. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. It must abide in the vine. Is this work? Yes. The master gardener works to tend the branches. The true vine works to provide strength to the branches. And we need only abide by faith. In this abiding we find rest for our souls. In this abiding we lay aside all our doubts and trust in the true vine's provision. In this abiding we receive all the benefits of the Savior's work. And our begrudging obedience gives way to joyful service. In this abiding, we bear much fruit for His glory and we find His joy.
joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is the point of our Savior's instruction, that his joy may remain in us and that our joy may be full. So many Christians struggle to know the fullness of Christ's joy because they have never known their need to abide in Him. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Abiding in Jesus is not the type of work that needs the mind to be fully engaged in Christian overdrive or for the affections to be exhaustively occupied with it. It is an entrusting of ourselves to the safekeeping of the Lord such that the heart has rest and peace and joy in the consciousness of being kept when it cannot keep itself. Abiding fully in Christ is a life of pure and overflowing happiness. Christ gets more As Christ gets more complete possession of the soul, the soul enters into the joy of its Lord. Christ's own joy, the joy of heaven, becomes our own, and that in full measure. Joy is an essential characteristic of the life of the believer who fully abides in Christ. And there is nothing, nothing so attractive as joy, and no greater encouragement than the sight of hearts made glad. Likewise, there is no greater proof of the reality of God's love and the blessing He bestows as when the joy of God overcomes all the trials of life. For the Christian, the joy of the Lord is His strength, His confidence, and His courage. With a heart full of joy, no work can weary and no burden can depress. It is in joy that the Lord Himself becomes our strength and our song And in this text, the Lord speaks of His joy. He provides a clear and profound agricultural illustration, concluding that the whole point of His illustrated teaching is that His joy may remain in us. A joy that will never cease or be interrupted for a moment. And to this He adds that your joy, your joy may be full This is what so many of us struggle to understand. That many Christians struggle to understand. Their view of the Christian life is that it is a succession of mood changes. Joy, then sorrow, a little joy, and a lot of sorrow. And sometimes they even appeal to the experiences of the Apostle Paul as proof of how much weeping and sorrow and suffering is to be a part of the Christian life. In doing so, they have not noticed, however, how Paul understood the paradox of the Christian life. The paradox of the Christian life is the concurrent combination of all the bitterness of earth and all the joy of heaven. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, Christ can overrule the sorrow of the world and can make us sing while we weep and maintain in the heart, even when cast down by disappointment or difficulties, a deep consciousness of a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. The abiding presence of Jesus cannot but give joy. 
When weeping for the sins and the souls of others, there is a fountain of gladness springing up in the faith of His power and His love to save. Christ's own joy, abiding joy, fullness of joy, such is the portion and inheritance of the believer who abides in Christ. Our abiding in Christ is to be looked upon as the happiest life that can ever be led. Therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore, cling tightly to the words of Christ. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Claim His joy as a part of your abiding obedience. Not the first or primary part, but as the glorious proof of the sufficiency of Christ to satisfy every need, every need of the soul, every need in your life. Be happy. Cultivate gladness. In times when the heart feels the unspeakable joy of the Savior's presence, praise God for it. Praise God for it in the presence of others and seek to maintain it. If at other times feelings are dull, And the experience of the joy are not such as you would wish. Still praise God for the life filled with innumerable blessings. If you find that you are dwelling in the gloom of sadness and not knowing Christ's joy, see if it is not true that at those times you are not abiding in Christ. And in those times, stop. Repent of your disobedience and His call to abide. Repent and believe the gospel for the whole of your life, not just the beginning of your Christian walk. Search your life and see if you are living and believing and acting in the light of the truth of the gospel. Or are you striving to solve all the problems in your life in the wisdom and strength of the flesh? If so, then stop. Abide in Christ and find rest for your souls Does the truth of God's Word applied to your situation seem simple and foolish? Then stop. Abide in Christ and trust in His truth and wisdom. Does the thought of abiding in Christ seem like too much spiritual work? Do you have no time for prayer, no time for reading and meditating upon His Word, or little interest in His worship? Then you are not fully abiding in Him. And have forgotten that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You have chosen to be an anemic twig, barely hanging in there, and and should know that there is little hope of bearing good fruit. But there's one other thing I want us to know about abiding in Christ, and this is so very important. We are an impatient people living in an impatient age. The twig, once grafted into the vine, takes time, time to grow into a strong, mature, fruit-bearing branch. If we hope to abide in Jesus, and we hope to know His joy, we must give Him time. We must commit all our remaining days to Him, and we must know that every hour of each of those days belongs to Him and must remain in Him. A graft will never take if it is sometimes in and sometimes out. There are no isolated and private parts in the life of abiding. All our words, actions, emotions, discouragements, and joys are to be surrendered to Him. Yes, even our thoughts are surrendered to Him and must come under His Lordship 
in our abiding. Along with Paul, we must remain confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it into the day of Jesus Christ. We have access into the most satisfying, the most glorious, the most fruitful and most blessed life because our life is hidden with Christ in God. Dear friends, know this. Believe this. Live this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Therefore, put off the old man, along with the deeds of the flesh, the reasoning of the flesh, the striving in the flesh, and present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Be fully joined to the true vine and bear much fruit. Yield yourself to any and all of the Lord's pruning, knowing that in Him you are already clean because of the Word, His Word, that you received. Now along with John, I exhort us all to abide in Christ, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have revealed yourself as the vine dresser and your only begotten Son as the true vine. We are thankful that you have called us into that one true vine, both to save us and to abide. Help now, we pray. Help us to believe more in what you have been pleased to reveal. Cause us to long for that true abiding joy. Help us to believe and to trust and to yield before your perfect care. And make us to be bold in asking for all that is needed in order to bear much fruit. In this we earnestly pray. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, and the true vine in whom we thankfully abide. Amen.